Please record. Okay. Okay. When you push this one down. It, it was disappointing to watch. This one also pushes down in your recording. Okay. Okay. Show me the feeling. That's good. Very okay. easy. Mm -hmm. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast. This is episode 8, recorded January 24th of 2021. Today I'm coming back to the mic to bring you another Wyoming farmer as a guest for the show. This farmer and I have a long history from well before our farming days, so I'm excited to share with you her story and her progress in Wyoming agriculture. We'll be talking to Jennifer Scott of Red Shack Farm. Red Shack Farm is a small-scale, diversified farm in the Evansville area that is currently in the incubation stages as Jen and her husband put down roots, discover their passions, and develop their business. I've got a great interview for you today. So before we get started, let's talk about how you can support the show. Now, many shows ask for a donation directly or they'll even do membership programs to monetize their podcast. And while those are all great business models, today I'm not going to sell you anything. Now, when I was a waiter, I would often assist in training new staff as they came on board. One of the things I often relayed to these staff is this one simple sales principle. No one likes to be sold, but everyone likes to buy things. The idea, of course, is that your goal isn't to sell them on what you want, but instead to recognize what they want and to help them get it. And that is what I have for you today. Many of you are going to go shop on Amazon in the coming weeks or months and buy things that you want. And I want you to get what you want, which is why I've set up a way for you to support the show and continue to get the content you want, all while making purchases you're going to be making already. And the best part is there's no cost to you. You can do that in one very simple way. You can follow my affiliate link to Amazon before you buy. That link can be found in the show notes of this episode and you can find it at the bottom of the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast website. Just click the link beneath the straw hat farmer using a laptop and do your shopping from there. Get the things you want. Go ahead. Your farmer called. He said you can buy whatever your heart desires. Perhaps while you browse, though, keep a tab open, because you're going to want to hear this episode with Red Shack Farm. All right, Jennifer Scott, welcome to the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's uh, good to hear from you and get the word out there a little bit. Now, before we get into anything, is there anything that I missed in the intro that you'd like to fill in? No, you pretty much got it. We are very, very in the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I've been farming for like five years, and I still feel like I'm in the beginning sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Um, well, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I've really come to enjoy a little backstory on guests. So could you maybe tell us a little bit about what got you into this in the first place? Maybe start with a young Jennifer and walk us through key moments that kind of led you to today. Well, as young Jennifer, my father always had horses and different little animals, raising turkeys in our kitchen, which my mother was not fond of. <laughs> Um, and I've always enjoyed the animal aspect. As anyone knows that knows me knows I have animals all the time. I love the animals. Um, and then, you know, life happens and children and moving around and always trying to find that next great thing to improve our lives, but nothing was ever really working out. And we kind of just stumbled onto this property and everything just fell so easily into place and uh so we just took a chance and bought the land and started building and of course i do not do well with the emptiness syndrome so i had to have something to take care of so i got the chickens and anyone who's ever owned chickens know it's an addiction and you know the 10 turned into 20 turned into 40 turned into 80. They really are in the name of the gateway livestock, don't they? Yes, they are truly. <laughs> we've dabbled in a couple little things trying to find our niche, and the goats have seemed to come very quickly and easily. So that's our next adventure, and it just it all happens relatively easy, and I just really can't imagine doing anything else. My only regret is I didn't figure it out sooner. Fair enough. Um, so the goat, you're looking at that being your next enterprise. Are you looking um, at breeding stock? Are you looking at meat goats, milk goats, uh, fiber? What kind of enterprise are you looking to start there? It's basically we're just breeding now, trying to figure out which works for us. You know, of course, milking some, you know, some of the dairy. Mm-hmm. Um Mostly just, uh, we got into Tennessee fainting goats, only because they are, they, they were originally bred to protect the sheep herds, but oh, because of their uses and being the sacrificial animal to save the herd, hmm. their numbers have dwindled greatly. <laughs> That's really so, interesting, I never knew that about that breed. Yeah, it was originally, um, sheep farmers would put the fainting goats in with their herd, a wolf came along or whatever, the goat faints, so the wolf attacks it, saving the sheep so they have time to get away. Huh. That's pretty cool. So, but now they're kind of on the low end of, not really endangered, but their numbers are very low. So, mm. Not as popular so trying, as they once were, huh? Right. <laughs> and so we're just trying to bring them back because they're, they're a great livestock to have on any size farm. Um, they do not require intense high fencing as a regular size goat because they tend not to jump because it scares them and they faint. So, oh, well, that's cool. Most of our fences are not even three foot high and they don't go out of them. So, nice. Yeah, that's definitely a uh, a benefit with goats that have a reputation of being a little Houdinis. Yes, <laughs> yes, it, it's a good starter goat for people wanting to start out with goats. 
Now, are there any special considerations you have to think of with the fainting goats? I mean, I'd imagine you probably have to not make too many loud noises around them or something. Um, well, you would think so, but they actually don't. Um, we had a skunk incident, and when we fired the gun, they did not faint. It did not scare them at all. Hmm. But I accidentally squealed when an animal touches my back of my neck, you know, kind of thing, and that caused them to faint. So it's kind of interesting on what makes them faint and what does not. And it doesn't hurt them. They're up and at it in seconds. It's not like they're down for very long. You're usually still laughing before, you know, well before, after they've already gotten up. So. Is there, I'd imagine that, like, you know, obviously they, they faint and seem to be okay, but I'd imagine maybe there's a threshold of messing with them too much? No, not really. Like, we did a lot of, I checked even with the local veterinarians and such, and it, it doesn't hurt them, because they don't technically faint. They don't lose consciousness. It's just called fainting. Mm-hmm. Um, their muscles just stiffen up, and which causes them to lose balance, so they fall over. Hmm. Okay. So it's really, it's it's not like neurological, they won't have seizures or anything like that. It's just a defense mechanism Okay. that they have. So it really does, I mean, you can, and as, when they're younger, they're a lot more um, susceptible to fainting than when they get older. Our older ones, it takes a lot to get them to faint. Hmm. They get a little more uh, used to all the... The scares, I guess, huh? Yes, they adapt to their surroundings. They know what's normal and what's not. Okay. And uh, I, this is purely speculation, but I kind of have to wonder if all that uh, that muscle tensing has any effect one way or the other on the, the meat quality and texture. I haven't found that out yet. Like, I have tried goat meat before, but... Uh, I have yet to process my own yet. <laughs> Still in, Still that in the very thing. new stages of it, so, uh-huh. yeah. So how long have well, you been farming? I have officially been farming for one year and one week. All right, congratulations. <laughs> Happy anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, officially farming is, it's been a year. But, uh, and we've tried several different animals. Like I said, we're trying to find our groove in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. See what Chickens, of course, are amazing. Any birds, they're, they're simple and easy and fun to take care of. We did dabble in sheep and found out that was not for us. <laughs> I heard a story or two, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, we gave it a good try wasn't our that wasn't our group there and, and what we uh have simple things like cows um, but they're just strictly for feeding our family so mm-hmm. which has been interesting and fun well. i'm sorry what was that manage the grass a little as well i'd imagine yeah yeah they, they, they the goats like to eat the top parts and the cows eat the bottom so they clear off the land pretty well not too much there's mm-hmm. only two of them so they don't really trample everything mm-hmm. uh what breed of sheep were you raising when you did that 
they were, oh my gosh, she would have, I just, totally left my brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wouldn't be a good interview if I didn't ask you hard Dorset. questions. there we go, Dorset G. Okay, all right. <laughs> and what, uh, what were your issues predominantly? Um, my issues personally was, A, the shearing, that, that was the most, my first attempt at shearing, the only thing I cut was my finger tip off, so, so that, that was hard, um, I had a gal come and she, oh, she made it look like it was just so easy, and she's like half my size, it was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> find a lot of things like that I don't know how many times I've, I've told you the story if I told you directly but when I first started with chicken um, I went up to Gillette and got some free roosters and I came down and it was only 10 roosters but it took me about on the weekends mind you not every day but it took me about two or three months to process those 10 yes and I would uh, I was working nights at the time and I'd get off in the evening on my Friday and I would start in on a rooster and it would be like time for me to go to bed on my Saturday by the time I finished with that one chicken. <laughs> right. So yeah. I can definitely relate. So, yeah. And they are, they were very curious. They broke into the hay barn countless times, did not know they could belly crawl as low as they do and they flattened themselves and got underneath the gate. Uh, like, they never yet left our property, but they did like to break into buildings and such. Sounds about right. Mine are pretty mischievous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, and they didn't, they would let you touch, they'd let myself touch them occasionally when they felt like it. Um, other than that, it was a full-on rodeo trying to get them to go and do what I needed them to do. So really flighty, huh? Yes, they were very, very flighty. I had, when we were trying to catch them to shave them, the one jumped clear over my head, and then the second one started to, and so I had to tackle them down to the ground. It was, it was quite hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely found that certain breeds are really bad. It, that's part of why I've settled on the Katahdin myself, because they seem to be a little more docile. Um, yeah. not that they don't have, you know, uh, I don't want to say attitude problems, but a propensity to get into trouble, we'll say. Right, yes. <laughs> but, um... were very strong-willed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember getting some, uh, I think they were Navajo black bellies or, or something of the sort, um, or mm -hmm. American black bellies, and, uh, and yeah, they were, they were extremely flighty to the point that it was actually a danger to themselves uh, because right. they would run into things and, and injure themselves. Um, but, okay, so you you mentioned that you have the, the fainting goats. Did, did you experiment with any other breeds or have you? Um, I have one Nigerian dwarf. I, I had two, but I ended up trading her for two more fainting goats. So. Okay. And are you milking the fainting goats as well or just the Nigerian? Um, not as of yet because of they're all pregnant, so. 
Oh, okay. All right. So we, we will soon in May be giving that a whirl. <laughs> <laughs> you have to let me know how it goes, especially if it doesn't go well, because it could be a good right. story. <laughs> yes, it will be a very good comical hour. <laughs> really helpful to have friends like that because yeah just a little bit of uh practice can go a long ways to be sure yes i'm i'm all about just picking anybody's brain who will let me have five seconds to pick it so that's good i can read all i want in a book but i have found people know more (laughs) right yeah it's it's interesting how that works i mean i've learned an awful lot from books and forums and such over the years but sometimes uh there's just little tidbits of information that uh you know an individual might give you in person that make or break an operation um, it might be just something as simple as knowing how to hold a sheep when you're sharing it or something is way different than reading about it yes and the youtube videos and stuff yes they're all great but it until the person actually puts them in their hands and shows you exactly how to. It's more of a hands-on kind of life choice than to just read it in a book. Mm-hmm. I mean, the books give you great tips. But yeah, I personally, I like people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I have this running joke going um, with friends that, you know, you two lies a lot. <laughs> right. I will watch people on YouTube do the what seems to be the most simple things on their farm and i make attempts at it and it just fails miserably time after time right not to mention it's way more expensive for me i never understand that (laughs) (laughs) okay um so the the cattle you said you mostly do that for um for family use are you finding any particular joy in raising them is that something you think you would want to look into uh, getting into more if you had the ability? If I had the ability and time, it would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I am not at the point to be full-time farmer gen yet. So unfortunately, my job takes way too much time to dabble into that area yet. Yeah, that's definitely a, a time constraint a lot of us weekend farmers end up facing right yep so but okay um let's see well we'll talk a little bit about your birds then i suppose okay and we started of course with the gateway drug so anything uh right. chickens <laughs> what kind of breeds have you played with let's start there um i have several i'm i just i'm not really particular about breeds um I know a lot of people are, and that's cool. That's their thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, a chicken's a chicken's a chicken to me. So, you know, they look cute and fuzzy in the little bins at Tractor Supply or whatever. And I just think I need to bring five or six, seven, ten home, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have Easter eggers and cucumberons and Buff Orangtons and the whole thing. And then I got, you know, some free roosters and. And of course they bred and we had 
so they're just barnyard chickens now, half of them. Nice. They're a little bit of, you know, the mutts, they're my favorites. Yeah, I've always just kind of, I've been a little willy-nilly too, and I'm sure that some poultry breeders out there, if they're listening to this, are cringing right now, maybe screaming at the I'm screen. sure they are, and I'm sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I definitely tend to be a little more willy-nilly or haphazard with them as well. Um, yeah, I mean, to me the eggs taste the same, mm-hmm. and the meats taste the same. <laughs> so, it really, you know, and there's, I like having the beautiful array of different feathers and yeah, definitely kinds. for for looking at them, and you know, for a lot of farmers, uh, chickens are one of the only things you have around in the winter. So good winter interest, right? So yeah. Um, so yeah, okay. And I just, oh, go ahead. They just free range, and and we don't we don't dabble with the whole heat thing. Mm-hmm. I learned from a older gentleman down the road. He told me never to put heat in my chicken coop, which is a large barn, but. Mm-hmm. Because of my addiction, <laughs> it's not just a standard coop. Um, because of the loss of power, and they'll freeze in the winter if they suddenly don't have power. So I've always raised mine without heat, and they seem to do fantastic. Yeah, I've never tended to have any issues. Um, and my, you know, of course, my coop's a little different design than yours. But the only issues I've ever had is when I have a a storm blow in from the east and it goes directly into the coop um or if i have chickens that don't learn from all their siblings and try to sleep on the ground that right. cause yeah. problems you have the occasional yeah <laughs> uh-huh. but yeah. most of them are smart enough they fly up into the coop at night and they sleep in the right spot and they seem to do just fine so right yeah they definitely yeah. put up with the Ours cold is a little well. different we put a, a doggy door on the side of the barn, mm-hmm. this little shit, hence the red shack barn, it's just a little shack. <laughs> and they just put themselves in, and I close the doggy door when it's dark, and open it in the morning before I go to work, and they just do their thing. Nice. And are you doing any uh, supplemental lighting? No. Yeah. So you just let them go off of the natural daylight? Off the natural daylight. They're all kind of new, so they they're still laying really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if we average almost three dozen a day, so it hasn't stopped them at all. There's two windows on the shack, so mm-hmm. they get um, one is south facing and one is west facing, so they get plenty of of sunlight throughout. But uh, I haven't noticed any. I mean. I haven't put lights in to find out if they need supplemental lighting. <laughs> so. Well, when they're young like that, I mean, they, they tend to do pretty good. Um, do you have plans to coal as they get older, say at two-year mark, and replace them? Yeah. Or? Yes. Yeah, they will. They, I mean, we, we ordered broilers. We did the whole meat chicken thing, and I've gotten comfortable with that. That was a little out of my comfort zone, but now it's I'm a, I'm good with it. So it was my growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they start, when they slow down, yeah, they go to as we call it freezer camp. Um, but yeah, except for maybe the we have the one our first chick that ever hatched, and it ended up being a rooster. But he'll probably live out his entire life on the farm. So. Yeah, 
some birds kind of end up retiring. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then we, of course, we've done lots of turkeys and geese and guineas and ducks. Most of them are ducks, so. And are you raising all of these for market, or are you predominantly just kind of doing a lot of this at homestead scale at the moment just to kind of dip your toe? Um, it's, we're mostly homestead. We are starting to branch out, um, and sell chicks and incubate the eggs and such. Um, a lot of the geese and the turkeys and such were, um, for our freezers Mm -hmm. to feed the family. So it's mostly homesteading, but now we are expanding because I think I've got the main gist of it all. Nice. Um, and did you did you do anything for uh, tracking your finances this last year um, as far as separating out your enterprises to see which ones were most viable and which weren't? Or did you just kind of have an overall uh, profit and loss that you looked at? I didn't in the beginning. Um, just recently have since I just went into an LLC. So um, now I'm, of course, tracking everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> say that you're selling the chips yes okay. yeah when the guinea fowls have their when i hatch them and i have the keats you can't keep them like they're gone within hours of posting it oh okay so a lot of demand for those huh yeah yeah there's a large demand for guineas nice is that because people hate snakes you think um i think so but maybe that's the reason i got that <laughs> i don't do snakes so have you gotten other feedback from customers or? Um, I haven't, like, really. I've had some people say that they can't keep theirs in their property. Mm. I've known a lot of people that their guineas go and visit the neighbors a lot or that, and, which was strange to me because mine don't leave the barn area. They, like, really don't even come down to the house like the chickens and stuff do. They, they like their own space up there. And they love the garden area, of course, because that's where they find the snakes a lot. So, mm-hmm. but other than that, mine have never left. But that's about their only complaint is that they'll fly off. So. So maybe they're just replacing them as needed or something. Yeah. Uh, cool. I wonder, yeah. like, I don't, I, I don't see any wild guineas going around, so they must not make it through the winter on their own or something. Or people are taking them um, I don't, yeah, they're not, they're not extreme cold tolerant, but mine live essentially with the chickens, so they go in the coop at night, and they, you know, they hang out with the, the cows and the goats during the day, keeping them warm and themselves warm. So, well, since your chickens I mean, and birds do a lot of free-ranging, have you noticed any uh, significant patterns? Like, do they tend to follow the cattle or the goat around? Do they like certain yeah. areas of the farm more than others? Yeah, they kind of just do their own thing wherever they feel like. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they own the farm, and they just go and do what they want. But, I mean, you know, they, the geese come down and find 
large cat. That's interesting. Yeah, I'll wait at the door for him, and I'll let him out, and they patrol with the cat for some weird reason. None of my animals make sense, I don't think, but, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, the Muscovy ducks, they, they fly, and they like to roost up in the top, so they try and get into the breezeway where the dogs are, and they sleep up in the rafters a lot. So they're just kind of yeah. harassing everybody and anybody they can, huh? Yeah, they really, but the, the dogs and cats, and you know, they just, it, everybody kind of gets along amazingly. That's good. So, yeah. Yeah, I they find I have, a, I have electric netting for my flock, and they still go harass the neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thankfully, where we're at, our neighbors are pretty far, so. Um, we did have the turkeys at one time, they went over towards the back of the property and seemed to be lost and I walked back there and they seen me squealed, ran to me and followed me back to the barn and never left again, so. <laughs> so yeah, they don't really roam. Um, I mean, I've had a couple chickens lost, but nothing to like predators or anything like that. One was unfortunately didn't move fast enough when the cow laid down. Oh, darn. So, you know, that was just a, one of those oopsie things. Uh-huh. But, yeah, I've never, we had a skunk, never touched the chickens, did steal a lot of eggs. Still lots and lots of eggs, but never had a problem with predators. Yeah, I bet that kind of sucked. Going yeah. from however many eggs to pretty much nothing. Yeah, well, I was... I just thought they were molting or something, and they were just, you know, kind of off, and then, yeah, then we found the skunk. And he had quite a horde. (laughs) It's amazing how they do that, huh? Yes. It was really... And he never sprayed at us or anything, and, like, once in a while you could find a spank sniff, but uh, he was just there living under the barn his eggs that's all he cared about i remember 2020 being a, a hell of a skunk year in this area I've, I've heard from multiple people that they had a lot of skunks and we had a, a couple of problems uh and the neighbors up the road had killed like a almost a dozen of them over the course of the year wow and then we had one that uh we were outside and I was in the backyard and at the time uh, my cousin Nick was living with me so he was in the front yard and he seen the skunk and the dog went after him and got sprayed right in the mouth. Oh! And by the time Nick realized what had happened the dog had ran in the house and he rubbed his face all over my carpet in the living room. Oh lord. And I shot the skunk and it was you know taken care of after that but we all ended up sleeping in the cars because the house stunk so bad. Oh, I <laughs> Yeah. And I, like, driving on the road, you know, occasionally smell skunks. Right. But it's kind of a different smell, and I, like, in a way, like, I wouldn't really want to submerge myself in it, but I'd kind of enjoy passing it on the road. It, it was stinky, but not in an overbearing way. But oh, yeah. this skunk, though, like, when you have a skunk spray you or an animal, it is completely different than passing them on the yeah. road. It is pungent. Mm-hmm. 
it sticks to your nose and everything, and it is, it's, ugh, it's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> and they're, they're horrible when you shoot them, too, so. Uh-huh, yep. In fact, like, uh, the spot where the I carcass. shot him still stinks yeah. sometimes when you step on it. Yeah, <laughs> and we just, we discarded the carcass way in the very back of the 20 acres, and <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Wouldn't wish it on anybody. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, it was summer, so I made the dogs sleep outside, but they, you know, I'd hate to right. do that to them in the middle of the winter or something. <laughs> right, yeah, that would, that would be horrendous. Uh-huh. All right, well, is there anybody, uh, any books that you particularly recommend or have read that you really enjoyed? seems to be there I mean there's really no substitute for experience in my opinion there's not in my opinion mm -hmm. <laughs> that's strictly me but I mostly just talk to neighbors or friends or you know um, meet some people on Facebook and be like oh yeah I had this happen and I'd be like oh thank god I'm not the only one <laughs> Yeah, sometimes you yeah. learn an awful lot uh, in those little conversations over the fence post. Right? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I do read occasionally, but mostly just just talking to people. So do you have, like, a certain, uh, I guess, vision or direction that you kind of envision your farm going in, or are you just kind of content to let the animals and the land take you where they may? Um, 
course, we're going to start a, a large garden this year. We've now got a deer proof, hopefully. They took out our last garden. Lovely. it's it's baby steps of course i wish it would happen instantly but uh nothing happens instantly farming so right so you know we're we're working to let go um you know we've made just with the the meat off of the farm and such our grocery bills down to nothing as opposed to what it used to be that's good that's one of the one of the good things about homesteading is that it can really kind of meet your needs in a variety of ways. Right. Um, and just and just helping other people, uh, you know, friends and such that live in town. They realize they could have chickens and how easy they were. I conned a couple friends into getting chickens and I gave them chickens and now they have their own eggs and everything else. So um, just sharing the, the knowledge There you are with that peer pressure again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just, you know, I mean, everybody is capable of doing it, even when they think they're not. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be a large-scale farm. Just something simple with greenhouses in your backyard and chicken coop. And there's a lot you can do even still living in town. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's something I've picked up a lot on over the years even even for apartment dwellers there's an awful lot you can do to take care of yourself um, right and it's not always you know having a massive garden and raising a bunch of livestock sometimes it's just becoming more financially independent even um, right but there's yeah there's always something you can do to to right. improve your lot in life instead of just accepting it right definitely starts to show when you get into circles of people that you know have become more independent uh in one way or another they tend to carry that attitude with them i think right so all right well um let's see we talked about most of your enterprises um on the garden note i guess uh do you have any exciting goals with the garden this year so we expanded our garden, and I have started a wall painting. So, well, not started quite yet. I'm still digging the hole. Okay. <laughs> now, <laughs> of course, I know what a wall is. I think maybe you okay. and I discussed this years ago, but uh, yeah, yeah, fill our listeners in on this. What is a wall It is a underground greenhouse. Okay. So, does I mean, how do you grow things underground? Like, is the light going to get in the way, or? So you, um, of course, you have to be Mm self-facing, the roof and one main wall of your, not the full wall, but the roof, you put the greenhouse material on and it points towards the sun and then it uses the earth um, because everything below the frost line will stay at a constant 60 degrees. So the idea is to put it down below that, it's still growing in dirt and it gets the sunlight and the heat from the greenhouse so that you can 
And there's a few um, other ways of doing that, of course, but the Wallapini, it seems like it has the advantage of the cost savings because you're essentially building the walls of your structure with the dirt itself by digging your hole. Yes, and you still have to support it in some way. Some people um, use cinder blocks or something that, that can absorb the heat during the day and mm -hmm. it releases it back at night. Um, I have found through a, a little tidbit on Pinterest, um, I built my supporting walls out of plastic water bottles and pop mm. bottles. So, nice. Sam. Well, and you got yeah. plenty of that out there where you're at. Yes, lots <laughs> of sand, lots of sand. <laughs> There's no short supply. But it was just a way to recycle. There's just so much waste. So everybody that I work with, family members, friends, they just bring me over their bag fulls of empty bottles. Nice. And I fill them up, and that's how we, I don't know, um, different countries, they built complete houses out of them. Right. So they're, essentially, you're just making a brick out of somebody's garbage. Yeah. And then we have, like, supplemental heat um, using pop cans or beer cans, whatever, some kind of a can. So a, basically a solar, uh-huh, passive solar heat collector. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I'm all about repurposing whatever I can find. Almost everything that was built on the animals and pins and stuff, stalls, it's all made out of free everybody's garbage they didn't want anymore. So. Nice. That's something that I, I think is a common thread amongst uh, homesteaders and farmers. you got to be resourceful. And if you're not, right? I just don't see you making it in this game. <laughs> no, no, you, you, you got to think outside the box. Uh -huh. I mean, I used to be the person that wouldn't mind Blibeklin buying a $200 purse, and now just saying that breaks my heart a little bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's amazing to look back on yourself over the years and, and think of how much you've changed. I know, I think we all have those thoughts. Yeah. Anybody over eight, though, I'd imagine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but there's just like there's all kinds of things that you can use, and I'm all about repurposing. Um, a friend of mine just gave me a TV stand that I flipped upside down. It is now a hay feeder for the goats to keep, you know, the males from soiling it so they don't waste so much. Nice. It's like it would have just ended up in the dump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything you can do can definitely help with that. I uh, I use a, a cage for an IBC tote for a hay feeder. And right. the difference it makes, I mean, one, um, sheep, as you probably know, are a little more prone to parasites. And i and, uh, um, trying to think of what the other word is. But anyway, parasite load and, and problems with that. Worms. There we go. Um, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> rubbing off on you, huh? I don't know. But they're a little more prone to, you know, worms and parasites, and a lot of those issues come from them eating off the ground. Um, a lot of the, the life cycle, those parasites and such, you know, requires them to eat off the ground if they are to live. So just getting the food off the ground can definitely have some benefit for the health of the animal, but the amount of feed that they use is far lessened when they can't just trample half of it into the ground. Right. Um, yeah, we we experienced a lot of waste. Uh huh. So that's yeah, that's smart. 
just one of those ways to yeah cut your costs without necessarily uh, sacrificing on on quality or cutting corners or anything. Right, and there's so much people have that they don't realize. It's it's like fun. Um, there's a there was a site of uh, like just DIY recycling, and we turned um, old dressers that were missing drawers into brooder boxes and china hutches into nesting boxes. <laughs> there's just like so much that instead of heading to the landfill, uh huh. My husband calls me a hoarder, but I <laughs> use the stuff eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have a little bit of a hoarding tendency uh, when we get into some of this, but, you know, I've heard from a lot of people that, uh, you know, had relatives that made it through the Great Depression and other such hard times, and it seems like the hoarders tended to come out okay because they had a lot of resources. They did. So, that's, you know, but just you tell know, tell my figure making it feeder. for... <laughs> a typical hay feeder is like $200 at the feed store, so... Uh-huh. Yeah, they cost some money. If you turn somebody's garbage into one, it's like a bonus. <laughs> yep. Yep. Sweet. All right. Um, well, is there anything that I missed that you're maybe excited about, you want to talk about? Uh, I think we've hit it all. Okay. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm trying to dabble a little. Um, I started doing these cups and, um, these new ones I gave it a whirl. I'll have to give you one so you can practice it and see if it works well. Okay. <laughs> With uh, using glitter and epoxy, we'll see how that turns out. Nice. Yeah. So kind of like a cricket and, and related things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So well, we're dabbling in that. Everybody likes cups, so. And is that just to kind of increase your offerings at markets and craft fairs or... Yeah, a little bit, because not, I mean, with this whole 2020 and COVID stuff, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we you, you can't, they, they've closed a lot and limited a lot of what you can do as far as food and handling and and such, so, um, so it was just a way to get a little more, and you know, everything's marked with our logo on it, so it helps. <laughs> So it's kind of a little bit of a um, marketing thing for you as well. Yeah. Getting yeah. the word out. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah, it's always good. Any Anytime you can, you know, ethically do some branding, that's a, a good thing to do. Right. Yeah, I'm just, we're really focusing on expanding and um, with the chicks. And, and I, again, I know there's breeders that love their certain breeds, and I'm sorry. <laughs> but, uh, um yeah, just the barnyard mix. A lot of people I have found that they think they're cute and stuff, but they really don't care as long as they're getting their eggs or their yeah. meat. Well, and I'll defend you there as well. I mean, there's so there's a thing called land race breeds, and um, and I I can't think of a land race chicken breed off the top of my head, but there are a few. Well, okay, here's one. So the Key West chickens. Down in Key West are a land race breed or an example. So, you know, I mean, land races are essentially breeds that are developed over generations to be adapted to a certain uh, land base and to work well in that environment um, and with their, 
you know, dietary and environmental conditions. So your barnyard mix, I mean, it, yeah, it's a bunch of mutts right now, but if you were to, you know, keep working with that, you know, over the years, we'd eventually have what you would call a Wyoming land race chicken. Right. So, um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, they're probably still mutts in a lot of people's eyes, but I like them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I pretty. like the mutt dogs, though, too, and everything. You kind of just, it's original. It, well, and it, you know, it feeds the addiction on the chicken end, because, right? <laughs> you know, you're going through a catalog and you order what you need, and then if they're going to send you a free one, why not? And right? doing that, I've gotten like 35 different breeds. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Got maybe at most like three or four chickens that are the same breed out there. Right. <laughs> but. Yeah, just as well, mostly just expanding the chickens. Um, and, and I try and sell them a little less because they aren't your purebred, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, and I have them available all the time, not just when they're, you know, and I know the big chain stores hate me, but you know. Right. Mine are available at any time, and I uh, I am getting better at the sexting of a chicken. Not a, a complete night, 100% guarantee, but unlike, you know, tractor supply, if they're supposed to be a pullet, did you end up with the rooster? You're kind of just stuck where I'll buy it back from you because it's a, a bird for $2. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it feeds the family just as well as a $20 Well, that's definitely some value adding there. So, I mean, one, um, we're going to have to talk about the the skill of sexing chickens because not everybody has that. But two, um, you know, here in the Casper area, of course, the the city government and their infinite wisdom, you know, only allows certain genders of chickens. And so for an individual living in town, um, what you're saying is if they buy a chicken from you and it turns out to be a rooster, you'll happily buy it back from them that's that's some value there yes yeah i'll buy it back if i have some of the same age they can trade it out if they prefer you know whatever they want because i know that they are restricted in some of the places that they live so Mm -hmm. so that's where i kind of different differ a little bit than the murdochs and tractor supply nice well that's if i get it wrong i will buy it back right (laughs) That's definitely something to use in your marketing because, yeah, I think that's that's worthy of a, a good value there. Right, especially if they're expecting eggs, then that chicken just does never give them eggs. I mean, it's kind of worthless mm-hmm. to them. Right, yeah, especially, I mean, by the time you raise a chicken, you know, to laying age from a chick, you've put 50, 60 bucks a feed into it or more. Right. And, yeah, that can add up quick. Yeah, and we... Uh, we're going to start, um, I started a mealworm farm and it's, it's taking over my three cabinets. So I'm going to, so we're going to offer a mealworm starter kits. Nice. I'm going to have so. to get one of those from you. I'm still trying to talk my wife and giving me a cabinet, but. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's fun too. And of course my chickens will do anything for a mealworm, so. <laughs> The little fiends, are they? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, so that's where we're going is it's mostly 
mostly birds and millworms, and once we get the goat thing going, we'll do the soaps and milks and... Nice. So on, yes, on sexting the chicks, um, are you sexting the other fowl as well, or is it mostly chickens that you're able to do that with? Um, I have not figured out um, the, the ducks until they actually get their feathers in Okay. to tell if the tails are. Um, Muscovy ducks are a little different. They don't have the little tail feather mm-hmm. like a um, Muscovy or a... Yeah. Peking duck or anything like that, they the males have the little tail feather. Um, muscovies are different, so it takes a while. I have not figured out how to do it from a small chick. And uh, so, what about the chickens? What are you looking for in those? Oh, in the chickens, it, it's the wing. Um, when they're two days old, or a day old, you just you spread their wings if they have if their wing makes like a W. Mm-hmm. It's a hen. If it's just a straight glide down, it's a rooster. Okay. So, Interesting. Uh, yeah. And the ducks, you can um, push on their vent and stuff, but there's so much risk of damaging them mm-hmm. that I'm just not comfortable doing that. That's fair, yeah. It's probably better to be safe I'd than sorry. I'd much rather wait till they're, you know, six or eight weeks old and have feathers, and then I can sell them at that age, you know what I mean? Right. You know, um, and and there's ways to do that with the chickens too, with the vent and stuff. But like I said, I, the the less invasive I have to be on that poor little chick, it's it's better. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine they grow better too, and will produce a little better as they get older if you're less invasive. Yeah. So. And and sometimes the wings. I mean, the wings is generally a dead giveaway. Mm-hmm. Um. Because the roosters, they get the longer feathers and their wings form differently. So it's generally, I'd say it's probably about 90% accurate. Nice. But then there's, you know, always the one or two Mm -hmm. (laughs) that throws me for a loop. Nice. Well, that's pretty cool then. Yeah. Good homestead skill to have. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I guess... We'll move on to, well, do you want to talk about your millworm operation a little bit? Um, well, there's really not too much to it. I mean, um, just plastic bins, um, plastic shoebox containers that work awesome. Um, they're, you know, you got the worms in one, and when they start turning into beetles, you move them into another. The bedding is super simple. It's cornmeal, oatmeal anything that's fairly cheap at bulk price okay um and then you just use like i use the bottoms of an egg carton and you just lay it in there and that's where they hide each weekend they change out their fruit throw fresh apples or whatever in there and or potatoes and pull out the old ones and and they seem to do really well on those (laughs) nice and how many are you uh pumping out a week on average? Oh, well, we have, so we started with a thousand millworms. Um, and of course, I feed my chickens a lot, and I have a lot of chickens. Mm-hmm. So, um, but we have, what is it, seven starter boxes of a hundred beetles in them. Nice. So they, and you know, they, uh, they, it's 
usually takes them about two to three weeks, and then the worms will be there, and then you got to move the little beetles to the next box, and so on and so forth, so they don't eat the worms, because mm-hmm. they will eat their young. <laughs> um, and then it takes about another two or three weeks, and then those are beetles, and they've already laid their eggs, and the worms are coming out, and it's, it's a pretty quick. It can get really big. Nice. But... Sometimes I just take the whole door and take it up to the chickens and they clean it out for me and they like the beetles, the worms, the larva, whatever. And then I just start again. <laughs> so it's pretty easy to mitigate if you get out of hand, huh? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, the only uh, downside is they, they can't be outside where it's cold. So a lot of people are freaked out about it. I have them in drawers. I have cats and dogs. They've never bothered them. I've never had a loose bug or anything like that. So they're actually really easy. They sit in the corner and we just don't even think about it half the time. Now, of course, you're, you know, um, have new construction. So you don't, you probably don't have these issues or anything. But being out in the country, have you had any mice issues with the mealworms? Uh, no, but then again, we have. A lot of chickens and cats. <laughs> the chickens are better mousers than the cats, so they roam around outside all the time. Mm-hmm. And I've never had a mouse in even in the barn, in the feed, nothing. I've never even seen a mouse. Nice. Except for when I see the chickens playing tug of war with one. Other than that, I just, yeah, we don't really have a mouse problem. So now I've counted three different times in this interview that you're gonna to have to knock on wood when you get done with this. Yes, make... <laughs> yeah, I've been knocking the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, the birds are like fantastic. So of course everybody knows I don't do creepy crawlies. Mm-hmm. So the guineas have taken care of the snake problem before they were big enough to go outside. We were there was. We were pulling up snakes six foot tall, like long. It was just insane. There was, they were everywhere. Um, the guineas came out, and the turkeys and the geese were big enough, and we've not seen a snake since then. Nice. Knocking on wood again. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Muscovy ducks love spiders. Um, I don't have a single spider, not even, we used to have a bunch of cat spiders in the barn and everything, and there's not a single spider out there you would know you'd hear me clear over there screaming <laughs> um, and of course i just don't like mice because they're just nasty creatures that carry so many germs so and i don't have them so that's a check 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 if we're having birds <laughs> <laughs> good 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 all right well i guess we'll uh we'll get to the end of the show questions here um, before we sign off and then oh, okay. uh, of course that last question is where people can find you so we'll talk about your you know Facebook page and website if you have one all that good stuff but okay. start with one number one um, what has been your most successful farming enterprise or product I would have to be the eggs okay I kind of figured that was gonna be your answer fresh eggs. <laughs> Good, easy to man, pretty steady product. You don't yeah, have customers going away for weeks at a time. Right, yeah. And and with the farm, I don't wash them. So, um, you know, if you, for the people that I, um, I deliver to, they, you know, they can put them in their fridge without 
being washed for up to six months. Oh, nice. They never you know, last that long at my place. The ache stays. Um, I have a lot of friends who are from different countries, and they just leave them on their counters like we do. Mm-hmm. The ones we eat, um, they just stay on the counter, and they look pretty. Yeah, I've noticed in yeah. travels to other countries that you never see an egg in a fridge. No, it, I think America is the only one that really does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is your main marketing outlet? Um, so we are just just starting out on the whole marketing thing. Um, I have a um, my daughter-in-law to be is setting up my website as we speak. Nice. So we will uh, here soon. You just have to type in redshackfarm.com to get to our site. Uh, we have, of course, we try and attend farmers markets when we can. Um, social medias. Um, Apparently, I'm on Instagram and stuff. Of course, she's taking care of all that for me because, you know, I'm old school. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that sounds like maybe you've had some success with word of mouth. Yeah, word of mouth is my biggest. Um, uh, uh, One friend bought it at work and others seen that she had fresh eggs and it just kind of... So I supply all the employees at where I work with eggs. (laughs) Nice. So yeah, mostly word of mouth, but we are trying to expand. I am trying to expand it to this digital world. Mm-hmm. It's a complicated um, place. <laughs> yeah, that's mostly why she takes care of it for me. She asked me, can I do that? Yeah, sure, whatever you like. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, well, what is the uh, biggest challenge on your farm? secret for time management I'd sure let you know but I'd be a lot richer right. too so you'd probably already know it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that, that's my biggest challenge is trying to find that equal balance for now and, and hopefully migrate to no more jobs so. so I think you told me this story um, on Saturday so it Unless you have a worse story, if you do, then I feel really bad for you. I guess you live up to your <laughs> reputation of bad luck, but what what is the worst thing the Wyoming wind has done to you? So, as you stated, we have a brand new house, and it's not even a year old yet or anything. And brand new buildings that we built by our hands, and the wind, and it's infinite 70, 80 miles an hour blew our pellet stove so it caught on fire in our brand new house. So the the yeah. wind, uh, you were telling me your house is facing to the west, which yes, is where our predominant so winds come sh- from. And yeah, the- it was a straight shot. I mean, when we put the house here, it was because we didn't want to see anything. Mm-hmm. So we just see hills and not thinking that that's where the pipe has to come out. <laughs> <laughs> Right now, to remedy it, our camper 
when we can build something better. Stop your house from becoming a smokehouse? Yes. Yeah. Now see, so if you would have had some prosciutto or something hanging in your living room when that happened, maybe it, you know, would have uh, been part well, of the Well, ironically, I was checking on the smoked meat <laughs> <laughs> when it happened <laughs> outside. So, yeah, it, it was it was scary, but nothing was damaged besides everything smelling like campfire But for a few weeks. But other than that, we were very lucky. Nobody was hurt. Nothing was damaged. That's good. But yeah, that wind is, and besides the every day, you know, it doesn't seem to blow until you pick up the bale of hay to go feed it to the cows and that blows it right in your mouth. <laughs> so, you know, I get as much hay as the cows do some days. Uh-huh. Well, so, so you're grass fed then, huh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we grass don't have any uh, hippie cannibals listening or anything. <laughs> right? I'm not that good. I still eat junk food, too. <laughs> All right. Um, name the one thing you think would benefit Wyoming agriculture the most. Uh, maybe just, uh, just the government easing up and letting people do what people do. Not so much regulation and rules and like it seems like every time I turn around I'm breaking a rule of some sort so I always have to ask is it against the rules it's like Salatin says everything I want to do is illegal (laughs) I mean there's ways around it but it's like if they would just ease up and let farmers be farmers right yep well, that's exciting. I'm really glad to hear you say that. So I'm not the only one that said that on the podcast now, people. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. My account probably be hacked here soon, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, where can listeners find you? Um, and if it, you know, if it's something that's not quite up, uh, maybe just give us maybe a, a timeline for when you think it might be or something. So the website should be up within this week um, at redcheckfarm.com. Okay. Um, we have our, our number will be listed in such. Um, email is redcheckfarm.wy at gmail.com. And um, the phone number, if they want to just text or ask me a question, um, 307-226-8100. Perfect. And then, and you of course, a... we're on Facebook at, you know, Red Check Farm on Facebook. Um, I do not know the Instagram account as of right now, but I will list that all on the website. <laughs> okay. And you can email that to me, too. I'll just put it in the show notes. Okay. And that way, people that are listening, uh, I, I have a list of links underneath every episode, so they can just go straight to you one way or another. Okay. Fantastic. So, all right. Well, did we miss anything or anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I don't think so. Awesome. Well, it was a great interview. Um, I think we got roughly an hour of content there, so I'm sure people will find it terribly interesting. And let's uh, hope you don't have any windstorms try to burn your house down again. Yeah, I think think we'll be all right now. I think we're learning how to battle the wind. Well, when you figure it out, let me know, because I think it kicks everybody's ass. <laughs> right. Yes. 
All right. Well, thank you, Jan. And, uh, All right. And, uh, thank you, Devin. Sign off here. All right, guys. Well, there we have it. Um, there's our episode with Jennifer Scott of Red Shack Farm. I hope you enjoyed. Check out the show notes below. We're going to give you all the links for website, Facebook, Instagram, uh, email, all that stuff. If you're in the Casper area or traveling through, uh, check her out for some eggs. Farm Fresh. Uh, she's doing some free-range model there, so excellent quality eggs there. And... Uh, definitely check her out. And again, if you're shopping on Amazon, follow that link, support the show, and we'll see you next time. Until then, go on and grow on. guys as I'm sure you've noticed there are the show bookends on the show now so that's that uh, music from the two tracks I uh, recently got contacted from them they did give us permission to use it on the show so you're gonna be hearing that at the beginning and end of every episode now um, and of course I'm gonna include a link to their website on every episode you'll see that in the show notes right next to my website and all that good stuff so that's the two tracks.com Thanks for listening, and thank you to the two tracks for the wonderful music.